0: Well, welcome to the well again. We're so glad you're here. Um, I haven't met a lot of you yet. My name is Stacy Post. I'm married to Ben, who was speaking last week. Um, this semester, we're doing a series called "With Jesus in Galilee," um, according to the Gospel of Mark. And you can kind of see that picture. What you're looking at is the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. Um, And I'm super excited to kind of take you there tonight in some different ways, but also through the course of the semester. It's in the very northern part of the land. Um, Actually, if you want to go to the next map, this is a map of Israel. You've got Jordan on the right, Egypt to the south, Lebanon and Syria to the north. Um, And the middle section is the land of Israel. And at the top of that, you see a little body of water. That's the Sea of Galilee. So if you go to the next slide, to the next picture, this zooms in on the Sea of Galilee and you guys should have all gotten this map. Did you get a map tonight on your way in? Okay, as you get to know me, you'll get to realize that I really love maps. I think they're awesome, especially maps of the land of Israel and now you have your own. So keep it in your Bible, bring it with you every Sunday night to the well this semester. We're gonna use it to kinda learn some cool stuff. Sea of Galilee and this is the area that we're gonna kinda hang out in this semester. It happens to be one of my favorite places on the planet. Ben and I had the privilege of living in Jerusalem, in Israel for two years. We've spent a lot of time there. We've taken a lot of you guys there with us, and we really enjoy doing that. So this time we're gonna do it from here and take you all along to the Galilee this semester. Jesus spent a lot of time there, and I think by the end of the semester, you might know why um, he chose to do that. So that's just kind of the goal. Um, Tonight, we're gonna continue on in the book of Mark. But by the time we get to our story in Mark chapter two, Jesus is famous. Do you remember the question I had you ask each other about the famous person? By the time we get to Mark chapter two, Jesus is famous. So just for a few examples, shout out some names of people you heard of or you thought of in your groups. Who would you wanna meet? Give me some examples. Justin Bieber, funny you should say that. Anybody over here? I can't hear you. Sharon, Will Smith, Goldberg. okay, <laughs> Wiffy Goldberg, that's awesome, that's awesome. So the way you guys feel about the famous people that come to mind, that is a little bit of how the people in Galilee felt during the time of our story about Jesus, and it's funny, well, let me, let me just tell you why first. Where did Jesus grow up? Does anyone know? He grew up in Nazareth, that's right. He went down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Ben talked about this last week. He was tempted in the desert. He went back to Galilee, and he went to a city called Capernaum. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. When he got to Capernaum, he started to do some crazy stuff. He started to say some crazy stuff. He started to heal people. He started to say things people didn't agree with, some things that were controversial. He started casting out demons He started doing things that were blowing people's minds. And guess what started to happen? Pretty soon, people were going, who is this guy? We gotta go check him out. Like, he's doing some crazy stuff. He's saying some crazy stuff. And they start to flock to him, right? He travels all through Galilee preaching in all their towns, and teaching, and healing, and casting out demons, and pretty soon he can't go anywhere without a crowd following him, or people coming to find him. In fact, one time in Mark chapter 1, it tells us that he went off to pray by himself, and his disciples show up, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. By the time we get to Mark chapter 2, Jesus is famous and everybody wants to be around him. It's kind of like this phenomenon that happened in Grand Rapids last weekend. You can go to the next slide. There he is. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Bieber hanging out, right? Hanging out in Grand Rapids. Um, anybody catch a glimpse of Justin Bieber? Like you did, you did, yeah, pretty exciting. All right, yep. He was in Grand Rapids, and it was all the rage. In fact, if you Google this and find some stuff on him on MLive, there are crazy videos of junior high girls, like, so excited their heads are going to explode, right? Because Justin Bieber's in Grand Rapids, and they got to get close to him. You can flip to the next picture. These are actually some pictures some CM students took. They met him on the road in Grand Rapids. You can go to the next one. Oh, there he is. You know, oh, my gosh, Justin Bieber. But this is what was going on in Mark chapter 2. Why do people want to be around him? He's famous, he's talented. If you're a junior high high girl or maybe a college student, you might have a crush on him, I don't know. But (laughs) people were flocking to Jesus because he was doing amazing things and everyone was hearing about him and they wanted to be around him. And some people got very bold and worked really hard to get in his presence. And we're gonna look at a story tonight about being bold. So before we do that, will you guys just pray with me? Jesus, we are grateful to be gathered together tonight here in this place with these people. God, we're thankful for your word, for the stories it tells us about you, for the love you have for us that we find in these stories. And God, I pray that what happens in these next moments would be from you. I pray that your voice would be the loudest in the room. Come, Lord Jesus, and speak to us tonight. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Keep your Bibles closed, and I just want you to listen. This is our story tonight from Mark chapter two. A few days later, When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them, Because of the crowd, they could not get the man to Jesus, although they were trying really hard to come down the aisle. (laughs) Because of the crowd, they could not get the man to Jesus, so they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. and they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man or woman was lying on. Good work, guys. That was good. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you saying these things? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up take your mat and walk, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I didn't tell them this part, so we'll see if they get it. So he got up, (laughs) and he took his mat, and he walked out, in, few, in full view of them all. Everyone was amazed. And they all praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's give these guys a hand. Good job, guys. Thank you. you know they didn't come through the roof and they were all girls but I thought maybe you would feel a little bit of the tension in the room that may have happened in that moment so here's what I want you what we're going to do tonight open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 if you have one if you need a Bible raise your hand and our friends from the program team would love to try to get through the crowd to get you one Um, we can try to pass them forward but we're flipping to Mark chapter 2 By the way, we have a tradition in campus ministry that I haven't, I don't know if Ben taught you last week, I'm not sure, but when we say the word of God or we read the word of God, we always at the end of it say, thanks be to God. And then, or or I'm sorry, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and you guys say, thanks be to God. It's pretty cool. So let's practice. This is the word of the Lord. Did Ben teach you that last week? Am I being redundant? Okay. Well, if you're new, now you know, right? We have all these new people, so that's good. Anyone else? A few Bibles up here, Mark chapter two. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Mark chapter 2. We're going to ask some questions because I don't know about you, but I have some questions about what's going on in the story. But then what I want to do at the end is just say, okay, we hear all this. We've answered our questions, but what is this story asking of me tonight? What is this story asking of us? And that's kind of our goal. Does that sound okay? All right. If you want to um, look at verse 1. It says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, earlier tonight, I asked you, where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. So why is Capernaum called his home? It's really interesting. So grab your map for a second, and also if you can flip to the next slide, that would be great. All right, so here's what I'd like you to see. Is this is from Matthew chapter 4, and I'm just going to read it to you, but it sheds some light on why Jesus is now living in Capernaum. When Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist who baptized him in the Jordan, had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, which is where he grew up, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake. In the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So grab your map for a second, and you can flip to that map now. Um, First of all, find Nazareth. It's in the bottom left corner Everyone see Nazareth? This is where Jesus grew up. And then if you find the Sea of Galilee, look on the northern shore, and you'll see the city of Capernaum. Everyone see that? So that's the move that Jesus makes. And we're kind of going to ask two questions. When did he move there, and why did he do that? Well, the text tells us that John the Baptist was put in prison. Okay, I'm not going to have time to tell you the story. You should look it up. It's quite interesting. Herod Antipas was the king of Galilee at the time, or the ruler of Galilee at the time, he puts John in prison. Another story for another day. Remember, Jesus, John the Baptist are cousins. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. And now John gets put in prison. And now Jesus, on that queue, moves to Capernaum. It's very interesting. On your map, again, find Nazareth. Look just north of Nazareth and you'll see a city called Sepphoris. Do you see that? Starts with an S, Sepphoris. Sepphoris is the place where Herod Antipas had his capital, while Jesus was growing up three miles from Nazareth. Jesus was growing up three miles from the ruler and his capital. When John gets put in prison, right about the same time, Herod moves his capital to Tiberias. Go back to the Sea of Galilee and look along the eastern shore of the sea. Of, I'm sorry, the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you'll see a city called Tiberias. Right when Jesus is entering his public ministry, um, Herod moves his capital from Sepphoris to Tiberias. And now Jesus moves to right where the action is happening. He moves right at the same time from Nazareth to Capernaum, which, by the way, you can see from right across the lake. The lake isn't that big, and I'll show you some pictures in a second. So we know that Herod has moved to Tiberias, Jesus follows. Why did Jesus move to Capernaum? One of them, I think, is to be near Tiberias, to be near the capital and where the action's happening. But also, you'll see this very, the darker line that's one of the major routes that goes right through Capernaum. It's not red on your map. It's red on this map. It's a little thicker maybe. Do you see the major road going right through Capernaum? This is literally the road in the ancient world that connected everybody, So if you were a major kingdom down in Egypt or a major kingdom up in Mesopotamia, you had to take this road right through the land of Israel. This means the entire world, every army, everyone that's trying to conquer another nation, every culture, everyone in the world had to pass through this tiny little land and even more so right through the city of Capernaum. Jesus moves closer to where the action is, but he also moves to the city where the entire the world is passing by. That's a big deal. And that's where he begins his ministry. The next thing I want to tell you about is who's living in this area. Because here's the thing. I've had people say to me, oh, Galilee is so beautiful. Jesus must have been a lake boy. He liked being by the water. It's peaceful. It's like vacation land. There's nothing peaceful going on here during the time of Jesus. And let me tell you why. You'll notice in the little black boxes that you have along your map, These are different people groups that are living in this area. So in the area of Capernaum and the north, it says religious Jews. This This is where the Jewish people lived who were very, very religious, upheld Torah or upheld obedience by living out the Bible, keeping the rules, very religious. All the way across the lake at the bottom, you see Decapolis. These are cities that were founded by Alexander the Great. Years before this, this is where the pagans lived. These were Greek cities. These were non-religious, non-Jewish people that were breaking all the rules that the religious Jews were trying to keep. In fact, they, didn't even, they couldn't even be around them because they were unclean. So you have this major tension between these two groups. Then, in the northeast, you've got the zealots. These were religious Jews that liked to be obedient, but they liked to be obedient with the sword. So if you were a Jew but you weren't keeping the law, then I might take you out with my hidden dagger in my cloak. Or if you were a Roman and I didn't like that you were occupying the land and you were going against my way of life, I might also assassinate you. Now, the religious Jews, that wasn't their way of life, so they didn't really agree with the Zealots. The Zealots obviously didn't want to be around anyone in the Decapolis, right? There's a lot of disagreement going on in this tiny little place. Then... In Tiberias, you have the Herodians. Remember, Herod has his capital there. These are people who are Jewish, but they really like the Roman pagan way of life. So they're going to be like Jewish and keeping the rules sometimes, but mostly they're enjoying all the luxuries of the Roman pagan life, and they're playing both sides. So who doesn't like them? The religious Jews or the Zealots? And they still don't really want to be in the Decapolis. So no one's getting along. Also, by the way, this sea is seven miles wide and 13 miles long. This is not a big area. And all these people groups are crammed in this little spot. And this is the place where Jesus chooses to do all his amazing work, a lot of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it, with great purpose. The last reason he goes to Capernaum is because of prophecy. He fulfills prophecy, but here's what he fulfills the Galilee, partly because of this, partly because of all the armies that come through on that road, that area more than anywhere else in the land of Israel had seen death and destruction and oppression and misuse and abuse for years and years and hundreds of years, actually. So when the text says that those living in darkness have seen a great light, that's because Jesus shows up and brings hope and healing and light to a place that was dark and broken and hurting. And this is why Jesus moves to Capernaum with great purpose. So can I show you what Capernaum looks like now that I've said all that like stuff information? Let me show you. So you're looking at the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is on the northern shore. So sort of like right in the middle of the northern coast you're looking at. Go to the next slide. This is an aerial view. From the Sea of Galilee, above the Sea of Galilee, looking down on the ancient ruins of Capernaum. I just stood there in May. It's still there. You can go there and walk around in the streets and in the city where Jesus lived, where he taught in the synagogue. The house he lived in is there. You can go to the next one. This is a very old picture, but it's hard to to see. But in the top, there's like a circular building. It looks like the ruins of a circular building. This is what remains of the house where Jesus likely lived. Um, You could say lots more about that, but I just thought it'd be kind of fun for you to see that it's actually a place you can go and stand in the place where this story happened, which I think is pretty cool. And the last slide, this is just the view of the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum, looking out over the sea. It's so beautiful. And maybe someday some of you guys will come and stand there with me, and that'd be super cool, right? So let's keep going in our text. That's all verse one. Don't worry. The rest of them won't be that long. (laughs) Look at verse two with me. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And I couldn't help but thinking it's kind of how the well feels right now. Some of you guys are sitting on the windowsill, sitting on the floor, out in the lobby. Um, We kind of get a little bit of what this feels like. So look at verse three. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, what's going on here? Everyone look up a second. What has this happened in here? Like, we're just talking, we're studying the Bible, and all of a sudden, like, what would happen to us if people started digging through the roof to get in here? It would get a little dangerous in here, wouldn't it? A little awkward. Some of you might get mad because things would be hitting you in the head, and that would not be what you signed up for when you came in here tonight, right? Um, if you can go to the next slide, I want to show you some pictures. Um, this next picture is a reconstruction of what ancient houses would have looked like in Capernaum during the time of Jesus. So you notice the roofs; the buildings aren't built like ours are. The walls of the buildings are built of, of basalt, um, volcanic rock. Okay, so they're real dark black basalt stone. But the roofs are made of three different layers, and you can kind of see them in here. First, they lay these long wooden beams of cedar or cypress, which are the most common wood, um, and then they lay straw mats on top of them, like a mat made of straw, and then they throw clay on top of the mat. And then if you go to the next slide, they take these—they would take these rollers, you can see the, the of drawing of the guy with this giant heavy roller that would flatten the clay on the roof and they would make sure to do that before the rainy season. So it would kind of seal out the rain with the clay and the straw. This is what was, this is the kind of roof um, that they're digging through. But think about that for a second. Still, what's happening to you? If you're crammed in this house and Jesus is teaching and they're digging through straw and clay and wood, are you happy about this as the crowd of people? Not really. Not really. Okay, these guys are not really making friends. And my point is, they're not really looking to make friends. They're not really worried about what we're thinking. They're worried about the friend that they're about to bring in the room. If you flip to the next slide, this just shows you a little bit of a, this is a reconstructed first century house in the land of Israel as if you were inside. So you can see the wooden beams and the straw mat laid across, just maybe what it would have felt like a little bit. And go to one more slide. Lots of the, they found in the ruins of these houses, lots of them had stairs up the side to the roof. So this is how they would have gotten to the roof if you're curious about that. Most likely from archeology, span this is what we can tell. So look at verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, when these friends go through lengths to carry their friend up to the roof, to dig through the roof and make everyone mad underneath, ruining someone's house, by the way, is this what they came for? When he says, son, your sins are forgiven, is this what he came for? You can answer, no. It's totally not why they're there. But here's what you need to know about the first century. In Jesus's world, sickness was always related to sin. Sin caused sickness. If you remember the story in John chapter 9 of the blind man, The people asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was assumed in the culture of Jesus that sin caused illness or caused sickness. That would have been a very common thing. So to forgive the sin should remove the consequence of the sin. But that didn't happen right away, right? So let's keep going with our story. This is all very interesting. Look at verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, these are the leaders, the religious leaders. Remember, they're in the religious triangle, the religious area. These are teachers of the Bible, teachers of the law. Why are they upset? A couple things. They're forgiving sins, something they can't, Jesus is forgiving sins, something they can't do. But also... In the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, it literally says, says this. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Blasphemy was the act of insulting the deity, ex- insulting the God, or claiming the attributes of the deity. Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do. And now these guys are really confused. Because either in this story, when Jesus says this, either he's God or he's blaspheming, which is worthy of death. And I think, I'm kind of wondering, why aren't these guys dragging him out and stoning him? Right there, right now. They're not sure. Who is this guy? He claims to be God. By saying that, what's really going on here? Look at verse 8. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said, why are you thinking these things? Which is, which is kind of crazy because now he's like reading their thoughts and their minds. They had to freak him out a little bit. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus isn't asking or saying this because one is easier than the other. He's connecting them. He is saying, guess what? And this is what you need to hear tonight. This is important. Jesus says, I have the power and the authority to forgive your sins and to heal you. Not just one or the other, not maybe one on one day, one the other day. I have the authority and the power To do both of these things. Nobody in that day was saying that this is a big deal. And I think it's a big deal for us to hear. Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive you and to heal you. And verse 12 is awesome. Jesus tells him to get up, take his mat and go home. So he got up He took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they all praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. What catches your attention about this? This amazed all the people who were watching, but not the religious leaders. This amazed everyone. And at the end of the day, even those religious leaders in the room are amazed, And it says they all praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. They're realizing, wow, this guy just might be who he says he is. The word that kept coming to mind for me and the program team, there's a group of students that helps plan these services and helps write these teachings. Um, they're pretty awesome people. And the word that kept coming to us as we looked at this story was boldness. There's a lot of boldness going on in the story. Let me give you some examples. The friends who bring the man to Jesus are bold. They are not concerned about the opinion of the people watching them, they're not concerned about whoever's house they're breaking getting mad at them. They're not worried about the teachers of the law and what they're going to say. They didn't care about the cost. All they cared about was their friend and that their friend needed healing. Their friend needed something that only Jesus could provide and they did not care about the risk. They just took action. And here's where I think is the most powerful part of their boldness. Do you know what was most bold about what they did? Not breaking the roof, not busting through the crowd. But they did so believing that Jesus was gonna do something. You don't just like tear up someone's house and lower someone down in front of a huge crowd unless you're pretty sure the result's gonna go your way. Right? They believed in the impossible for their friend. They believed that Jesus had the power to change what seemed impossible to change. And they believed it so much that they risked everything to take action and get their friend to Jesus. So I'm saying to you guys tonight, some of us need to be bold. Who in your life needs change? Who in your life needs the forgiveness of Jesus? Who in your life needs the healing that only Jesus can bring? And how bold will you be? Will you invite them to the well? Will you maybe invite them to your life group? Will you invite them to a conversation over coffee, over lunch, and say, hey, let me tell you about the way that God has changed me. God has brought joy and hope into my life. Will you be bold with those people that come to mind tonight? And then will you trust that Jesus will see your boldness and he'll act, that he'll actually bring change and hope and healing to your friends, to your family? That's boldness number one. Boldness number two, I actually think the paralyzed man was pretty bold, and here's why. It takes a lot of strength and courage to let people help you. It takes a lot of strength and courage to quit being so strong, to admit that you might need someone to help carry your load, to do things for you that maybe you can't do for yourself. That takes a lot of courage. And maybe some of us in this room, we need to be bold. And we need to let people care for us. We need to let the community around us care for us and walk with us and carry us and do things that maybe we can't do for ourselves. And sometimes it's allowing people to believe things for you that you can't believe for yourselves yet. This past week, um, Ben and I were just like hanging out one night and we were looking for something to watch on TV, and we stumbled onto the History Channel app on our Apple TV, and we started looking at documentaries, and there was this 9-11 documentary, and I thought, oh, it's 9-11 this week. That would be kind of interesting, so I started watching it, and we got totally sucked in. We ended up watching the whole thing, and it was just story after story of people who had experienced that tragedy from different angles, right? So there's someone who'd been working in one of the towers that made his way out, Um, There were firemen and policemen. There was a doctor who was the one ER doctor at the closest hospital um, to the towers, which was just fascinating to hear his story of that day. Um, The documentary's on the History Channel. It's called Days That Changed America, September 11th. So you could check it out. It was really amazing. But there was one story that caught my attention, which I think is a really good example of what we're talking about. There was a port authority officer. His name was John. And he went running into the towers with three or four other officers to go and try to help people after. um, I think one tower had fallen, the, the other one hadn't yet, but they were trying to help people get out. And while they were in there, that tower fell. And so a few of them died right away. John and a couple other guys survived, but got buried in the rubble of the tower. And so he's literally in this documentary telling his story as he was trapped for like 22 hours under the rubble of one of the towers. Um, So it's like him and the ER doctor who's on the scene and all these guys who were trying to help him. And they're telling the story of these men literally jumping on top of this rubble from this building that had just fallen to try to dig John out. And they dug all night long. And at one point, they called the ER doctor. The reason he was there was because they thought they were going to have to amputate his legs to get him out because he was trapped. His legs were trapped. But they kept fighting for him. They're like, no, we're not doing that yet. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. And all through the night, they dug that rubble out um, from on top of John. And they show this picture when they finally get him free of him on a stretcher. And he comes up out of this hole. And, you know, it's like 6 in the morning after they've been doing this all night. September 12 now. And he's talking as we're looking at this picture on the documentary. And he says this. These people, he said those men on top of the hole, this is what he says, they knew the dangers, they chose to ignore it, and to go into that hole anyhow and try to save me. I'll be forever grateful for their bravery. Can't even imagine how he feels about those people. Some of you guys have family, friends, people that love you who have helped dig you out who've been bold, who've invited you along, who've shared their story. And now we get to be the ones that might help dig others out of the rubble, dig others out of the pain of the darkness, and be like, hey, there's a whole new life with Jesus. Here's the last boldness, and this is my favorite one. The most bold person in the story was Jesus. Because Jesus chose to boldly claim that he had the power to forgive sin. And by doing that, he was saying, I have the power of God. No one else on earth has this power. I can forgive. And do you know what, you guys? He said it, and he offered forgiveness and healing to this man, and here's the thing. Every time Jesus said things like this, every time Jesus did things like this, He was one step closer to the cross, one step closer to his death, one step closer of all that pain and agony. And here's the thing, just like those guys went after their friend John in the hole and ignored the danger and ignored the risk, it's exactly what Jesus did for us. It's what he did for you. He knew the danger. He knew the risk. He knew where it was leading him, and he did it anyway, and he came for you, and he's here. He's not just coming after you. He came after you already. He gave his life for you to offer you hope and healing and forgiveness. Sometimes boldness is busting in and bringing change. Sometimes boldness is being quiet. And letting someone help. And sometimes boldness is giving up everything. Laying everything down. Trusting with everything. So that the impossible might happen. My very favorite part of the story is that last verse. Look at verse 12. The man got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you guys even imagine what would happen if we all just like walked out of here this week and decided, you know what? I'm gonna be bold. In whatever way God's saying this to you tonight, I'm gonna be bold for my friends. I'm gonna be bold for my family. I'm gonna be bold for myself and ask for help. I'm going to be bold by putting myself at the feet of Jesus and letting him forgive me and cleanse me and give me a whole new life. If we all chose to be bold in the ways that he's asking us to be bold tonight, guys, the whole world would see. They would all be amazed, just like verse 12. They would all be amazed and they would all praise God and they would all say, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. God can do the impossible. Will you be bold and trust that he will act on your boldness and do the things that you think cannot be done? Pray with me. Jesus, we are grateful tonight for this story. We're grateful for these friends who loved their friend so deeply and so boldly that they took great risk to get him to Jesus. And God, we're thankful for the boldness you show us in your love and your forgiveness and the healing and hope you offer us. So, Jesus, I pray in the next moments as we sing, as we spend time in your presence, God, would you speak to us? Would you open our hearts and minds to the things you want us to do, to the things you want us just to be still about, to ask for help for, for the people you want us to love? But, God, mostly will you let us hear of your love for us, your forgiveness, your healing, your hope? Jesus, come and speak to us in these moments.